Blog Talk Radio. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and cool, step right up. Behind this curtain lies a ghastly concoction of delight, horror, fantasy, and terror. Your every wish is our command. Your every whimsical desire brought to life. But I'm warning you, there's always a price. Welcome to the greatest Welcome back, ladies and germs, boils and ghouls, all the Talking Terror fans out there. It is time once again. It is Talking Terror time. We are back with a brand new episode this week. It is the Demonic Dr. Dave's pick this week with the film Beyond the Gates from 2016, directed by Jackson Stewart. So we're going to be getting to that. Uh, first and foremost, I am your old pal, the King Har, Andy G, welcoming you back. On uh, tonight's episode, I do not believe we're going to be joined by the ghoul geek himself, Keith. Uh, work sometimes gets in the way, as you guys know, on the show, so I don't think he's going to be part of the show. But we should be joined at some point by the demonic Dr. Dave before he has to step out uh, and, and take care of some things on his end. And I do believe he is here, so I'm going to bring him on in a second. But joining me is the Mad Monkey, fresh out of the cage, wielding a bottle of vampire wine for some reason. We'll see why that is. Monkey! <laughs> Hello, my freaky ducklings. This is your lovely co-host, Charming, the witty, the committed Mad Monkey, broadcasting to you live, as always, from the Drunken Monkey Rehabilitation Clinic, here to bring you another fun-filled, fright-filled, fact-filled episode of horror news and information. True, we may not be as informative as a G.I. Joe PSA, where you just learn not to lock yourself into an old refrigerator, but you might possibly learn something tonight if you're not careful. Oh, King, how are you doing, my friend? <laughs> I am doing just fine, and knowing is half the battle, as I always say. So, yeah, ready for another one. Ready for another fun-filled one. And I do believe we're joined by the demonic doctor. Are you there, Doc? The doctor is here, and I have to ask, Monkey, did you refer to our audience as freaky, freaky ducklings this evening? Is that, is, did I hear that correct? I believe you said freaky ducklings. <laughs> no. Freaky. I said freaky. No, not freaky ducklings. Freaky darling. <laughs> Just checking. Yeah, yeah his English <laughs> comes out once he starts to have a couple beers. <laughs> yeah, for a freaky duckling. Yes, duckling, duckling. Freaky duckling all over the place. <laughs> <laughs> well, welcome back, Dave, uh, to the show. Glad to have you back. I know it's your pick. I know you're not going to be around when we discuss it, but uh, it's certainly talking about Beyond the Gates tonight. Yes, well, we'll see how things, we'll, we'll see how things uh, develop. I am doing the show on the go tonight, uh, so I apologize in advance for any noises that you might hear associated with that. Uh, I will stay on for as long as I can. I, sh- I should have a decent amount of time, uh, but we'll see how it goes, and we will ride it out from there. Excellent, excellent. So let's not uh, waste any time, boys. Uh, do you guys have any things that you want to bring up uh, before we get into the movie tonight? Newsworthy items. Yeah, I have a I, I have a whole I have a whole list of items I would like to get to before we get to the film today. But before uh, we do that, to... Monkey, are there any items that you would like to get to, Monkey, or King of Horror? Um. Uh, f- first of all, it's just with this past week, I just want to take a moment to wish Bruce Campbell happy birthday. It, it was his birthday this past week. Um, you know, again, I- icon of horror. We all grew up with him in the nineties. 
stuff like that, you know, and I just wanted to take a minute to say, you know, th- thank you, Bruce Campbell, for everything you've done, you know, making all of our fun and bringing it to all of us, you know. Thank you so much. Oh, yeah. 60 years young today, uh, this week. And he's officially a, a senior citizen now. He officially is an AARP member. So, way to go, oh, Bruce. So, 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 so now he can check into an old folks home like Bubba. Yes, he can. He can put on his Elvis uh, Presley sunglasses and move into an old folks home. He officially is at, at that age. Way to go, Bruce. You did it, buddy. <laughs> way, to, way to hang in there. <laughs> Thank you for being asked for as long as you have. So I'm happy to uh, say that. Uh, plenty of other movies that Bruce has been in, uh, you know, aside from Evil Dead and Bubba Hotep, but uh, those, I think, are the two best, you know, Evil Dead series, Bubba Hotep, you know, his bit part in Intruder, uh, The Man with Two Screaming Brains. I mean, fantastic films. So I'm glad that he's still around. Even though Ash is retired, the guy's still around, so I'm hoping he makes some more movies and some TV appearances before he officially hangs it up as an actor. Yeah, but but on the same time, it's like, you know, unfortunately the show has been canceled, but, you know, we got way more than we were expecting out of that show. And, uh, oh, yeah. you know, it's like every time I go back and watch it, it's like I'm surprised that it even got released. You know, the fact that we got more than one season and the fact that every episode delivered. You know, there, there was, every episode was full of fun and gore. Oh, yeah. It was funny, it was glorious, it was a lot of fun. I mean, I can't remember an episode where I was like, that wasn't a good one. I think I had fun with every single episode in the three-season arc of that show. I, just, I was so impressed by the cast and, and the directors and the creators of that show. And like you had said, Monkey, the fact that it lasted as long as it did, three seasons. Nothing to box yeah. The fact that, you know, Ash vs. Evil Dead, which I think has a, a big fan base, but not a huge fan base, you know, for it to last that long, is pretty impressive. No, I agree. Uh, Doc, <laughs> you have any thoughts on Bruce Campbell or no? Uh, well, of course I have thoughts on Bruce, Bruce Campbell. I don't have any uh, thoughts on Ash vs. the Evil Dead because I have uh, not seen uh, one minute of that show. But uh, while we are on the subject of Bruce Campbell, and yes, happy birthday to Bruce Campbell, if we can uh, move into one of the things I wanted to talk about, which is Bruce Campbell related. This was a, a delightful piece of news that I saw earlier today. I am not familiar with the organization, the American Genre Film Archive. Uh, I've never heard of them before. I don't know what they do. Uh, but in partnership with Don Coscarelli, uh, coming this October to celebrate some of his films, Phantasm, Phantasm Three, Phantasm Oblivion, and one of my personal favorites, which you just mentioned, one that I love dearly with all my heart, Bubba Hotep, uh, those four films are going to be brought back to the big screen in October. Is that nationwide? Oh, that's or is that awesome. specific to a city? I have not yet. I have not yet been able to dig into this to determine if this is a screening that's taking place in a certain location or if it's nationwide. But it said the the headline was being brought back to the big screen in the fall. And uh, when I read the article, uh, you know what I just shared was the information that I came up with. This is definitely an item that I'm going to be looking to do a little bit more digging. Uh, on a little bit later, because if there's an opportunity for me to see not only the first uh, Phantasm, but also Bubba Hotep in the big screen, I will have to be pursuing that opportunity uh, with all my might. Absolutely. Yeah, Yeah, because I I know there's one company that does a lot of that. They're called Adam Tickets, and they do a lot of re-release stuff, bringing things into theaters, and they usually do it across the country. 
Yeah, I'd love yeah, to see so something like that will, on the big screen. Yeah. Yeah, we'll have to look into that. But yeah, this American Genre Film Archive, this is a this is a partnership. Don is on board with this. Uh so I will be curious to see uh, what it is, what it actually will be, and if there will be an opportunity for all of us to see it, because that would be great, because Bubba Hotep is just, just wonderful. Uh, just a, 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 so much fun to watch. I actually watched it for the first time in a couple years, maybe a month or two ago, and uh, I just love that one. So if I could get a chance to see that in the theater, I would be very happy about that. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely one of those movies that still holds up. I mean, it, it, the whole storyline is crazy. <laughs> you know, Elvis Presley and Ozzie Davis playing uh, JFK, in a nursing home <laughs> battling an ancient mummy. <laughs> it's like the wildest concept you could think of, but it works so well. There's so much heart and comedy and horror in it. It's, uh, and if you guys out there have not seen Bubba Hotep yet, go out, rent it, buy it, do whatever you have to do, because it's a great film with a lot of good things going for it. Plus Bruce Campbell. As was and to hear, you know, to hear you just reference the plot, and you're right, it sounds completely absurd. But... The performances of Bruce Campbell and Ossie Davis to hold oh, yeah. that thing together. Their performances are just so heartfelt and so genuine. But with all of the absurdity going around, it's also a very interesting kind of musing on aging and dying. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's very interesting in addition to all of the silliness that's happening throughout the story. Agreed. So what else do you have, Rusak? Uh So... I believe, King, that you are a fan of Joe Bob Briggs. Is that correct? Oh, huge fan. All right. So Joe Bob Briggs is one that I really do not have all that much familiarity with, but I saw that he is doing what he's calling kind of like a retirement farewell kind of tour. I am not a – I do not have a membership to the Shutter Network. I believe the Ghoul does, but this July – Friday, July 13th, starting at 9 p.m., Joe Briggs is going to be doing a 24-hour uh, horror movie marathon with 13 different films uh, with the whole Joe kind of his farewell marathon. I don't know if you've heard about wow. that or not. Uh, yeah, I heard about it like a long time ago, like a couple months ago. I heard that he might be doing something along those lines, uh, not necessarily bringing back Monster Vision, which is what he's known for, but kind of having a – uh, farewell kind of thing. So I might actually sign up for like a 30-day trial for Shudder just to have that, you know, and have a kind of farewell party with Joe Bob Briggs because back in the 90s, that was my go-to for horror on Saturday night. Yeah. I was watching that on TNT, Monster Vision with Joe Bob Briggs with Drive-In Totals, and it was just a fantastic, you know, little show. So, yeah, that's great news, Doc. I'm really excited about that now that there's actually a date put attached to it and, you know, where it's going to be. Yeah, so... so- yeah, and fittingly enough, they're doing it on Friday the 13th in July. So uh, starting 9 p.m. Eastern time uh, will be the, the final farewell for – maybe not the final farewell, but the farewell to the long-form Joe Bob Briggs movie marathon. So I know oh. he's got a lot of fans out there. And, again, like I've done some reading about him, and uh, his format and, and his whole routine sounds like it would have been something right up my alley at the right time, but it just – I'd never heard of, never really heard of it back in the day, and it, and you know, and now, now the time has passed. So, uh, I don't think my schedule will allow me to check that out. But uh, you know, for those of you out there that are fans of Joe Bob Briggs, uh, this might be a very fun uh, experience for you all. Yeah, and uh, you know, uh, Doc, if you have time, you know, whenever you have time, go on to YouTube and just type in Monster Vision. Uh, they do have a lot of the full-length segments from his show back in the day on TNT where he would intro the movie, then they would have the bits in between that he was doing, 
talking about the driving totals, how many boobs are in the movie, how many kills are in the movie, his commentary on it, everything without the actual movie itself. So if you have time, you know, they're like hour-long segments, sometimes shorter, but it's Joe Bob Briggs, Monster Vision. You can find it on YouTube for free and just kind of get a yeah. sense of what he was all about. All right, thanks for telling that to me. I will certainly mm-hmm. take a look at that. Uh, definitely sounds interesting. Mm-hmm. And what do you and think, I Monkey? Also, oh, no, I, it's just I had seen something about this as well, and I also mm-hmm. saw that not only is he doing this and whatnot, he's going to be doing it live. He, so he's going to be oh, broadcasting wow. live for 24 hours doing these movies. That's even more exciting. He's going to be doing it live, so it's going to be definitely worth checking out. Like I said, I might sign up for a Shutter subscription just to have it for that free 30-day yeah, trial and just watch that 24-hour marathon. Yeah, because the article I saw about it said something about, like, it was going to be, like, it was, you know, subtitled Last Man Standing because it was something about whether or not Joe Bob Briggs was actually going to be able to last the full 24 hours of this broadcast. <laughs> That's going to be interesting. See if he can do it. I mean, he's done it before. He, I mean, years ago, obviously, when he was much younger. He did it for Friday 13th, but the Friday 13th movies, where he did uh, From Dusk Till Dawn, where he just brought in as many movies as he could onto the show as kind of a marathon, which was great, you know, back in the day. It started, I think, at like 10 o'clock at night and went all the way until Sunday morning. So it was really cool to see that. But at his age now, I don't know if he's going to be capable of lasting the whole 24 hours. But we'll see. Yeah, we'll see. Yeah, so, yeah, I wanted to share that. I've got a couple of other things to go over before we get to the movie. Uh, sure. But first, I, I don't want to really talk about this one at length. I know we spent a lot of time talking about this on a recent episode uh, but I saw a little bit more of additional news regarding all of the controversy surrounding Friday the 13th, the game. And okay. appar- apparently not only can there be no, while, while all of this legal stuff is being sorted out, uh, I read today that not only can there not be any new characters created or new storylines or, or boards put into the game, they can't do anything so much as put a new rock or a new tree uh, in an existing uh, map, if you will, uh, that the game as it is right now, not one new addition in any way, shape, or form can happen while all of this legal wrangling is, is going on. So that's not something as, like, I, when it comes to video games, you know, with my PlayStation 3, you know, some might consider me living in the stone age of video games with my PlayStation 3. I don't have the ability to play Friday the 13th, the game. I'm sure if I was up to date in my gaming technology, it would be something I would want to check out. Uh, but, you know, maybe by the time I get around to a modernized system, I will have a chance to play. They will sort out those legal problems and I'll have a chance to, to play Friday the 13th, the game. I saw that bit of news, and since we covered that at length a couple of weeks ago, I just wanted to add that to the story. Well, what do you think about yeah. that, Monkey? Didn't even had a rock. No, I mean, yeah, but uh, yeah, because I have actually been thinking about this, and you know, the bitch about this whole thing is, um, not only does it cover content and whatnot, it probably means they can't fix any bu- bugs that are going on right now either. So if any new bugs pop up, and they got to do a patch to, f- to fix that, they're probably not going to be able to send those patches out. So any, any lagging ga- gameplay that's happening and or things that are acting up, they're not going to be able to go out there and do their preventative maintenance. It's a good point, too, uh, that you bring up. But that's uh, what the doc had just said. I wanted to kind of add something right, to Ed. that. Because I had seen okay. earlier that they're actually releasing a new uh, Jason Voorhees figure from Friday 13th Part 2. It's called the Ultimate Friday 13th Part 2 Jason Voorhees, where it comes with all the utilities that he uses, uh, different heads, 
uh, Pamela Voorhees' head, and I saw that, and I kind of wondered if Friday the 13th video game is barred from making any new content, such as, like, adding a rock or a tree, how is it that action figure lines can still release Jason Voorhees' figures? Wouldn't they be affected you know, as well? That's a really interesting question. Uh, I don't, you know, what, I don't know what toy company would, would be behind that, but if I, if there's an existing licensing deal for a company to make a Jason Voorhees action figure or toy, whatever you want to call it, uh, figurine, if if there's an existing existing licensing agreement that's already in place when this came about, it might be the same as new content moving forward with this game. They were able to make the game all of this way uh, without, you know, this legal trouble. So that might be something uh, that needs a little bit more looking into. Yeah, I just thought that was an interesting piece. I mean, you know, Monkey, what do you think? I mean, I would assume that you can't release any new content, whether it's even material such as hats or T-shirts or figures. But the figures yeah, come right. out. But, but, yeah, but like like the doc said, this was probably something more of a legal thing where, you know, this was already done probably way back in the day because you had to agree on, you know, setting up the figure. You had to set up the contract. Then you had to do the sculpting of the figure. Then create the then the creating of the molds for the figure. You know, so all of that was probably done like you know, shit, man, like a year ago, and they're just coming out with it now. You know, and does so, anybody know? Does anybody? Does anybody? Sorry to cut you off, monkey, but does anybody know if this if this uh, if this figure if this is from a company from the United States or from overseas, because I believe the overseas rights uh, were not affected by this. I believe this was strictly based in the United States, where, as far as the lawsuits are concerned. As far as I know, it's an American company. I don't have the name of the company offhand, because I just saw the article earlier today. But uh, I know the company that's releasing this figure has released uh, previous uh, Jason figures, as well as uh, Freddy Krueger figures, uh, Gremlins figures. Uh, so I can't yeah. remember what the name of the company is, but I know it's an American-based company, which makes it interesting. No. Yeah, and I've seen pictures of the figure. Oh my God, it's pretty. Oh, it's a good-looking figure. <laughs> it looks good. It does. All right, so maybe sometime between, uh, you know, between the end of this episode and next week, we can do a little research and find out if the legal situation surrounding the video game and the rights to Jason Voorhees, if this is affected by that kind of merchandising as well. Yeah, I'm definitely going to be looking forward to kind of researching it a little bit more because I know that was brought up earlier in a lot of uh, comment boards. You know, how is Friday 13th the game being barred from making any new content, but yet these new figures are being released? So I thought that was kind of a cool thing to, to see. It's a good argument to be made. Okay. Uh, Doc, you got any other news? Yeah, so my final piece of information that I wanted to discuss tonight, uh, the, I believe the last time that we talked about it goes way back to when they released the original trailer. Uh, and that had to do with the recent wrapping up of the first season of AMC's The Terror. Now, I know when that show was talked about and they released the trailer, I had talked about my love for the book and having mm-hmm. read the book several years ago and, and, and thinking the book was fantastic and being really excited that it was, was going to get the AMC treatment and turn into a series. So when that series was approaching, I didn't get a chance to. I haven't seen, unfortunately, I haven't seen any of it. I had set my DVR to record the, the series and then when the first episode had been recorded, uh, we were sharing DVR recording capabilities with the other unit in our previous home, and 
I don't know if it was a mix-up or an accident, but somebody somebody erased it and erased the recording of the whole series. So oh. once that first episode aired, I know that you can go to AMC and watch it, and I just I never got around to doing it, and it is definitely something that this summer I'm going to try to watch because I really, really, really want to see it really badly. But AMC has done something interesting here, and they're moving it into kind of anthology territory. They've announced that they're creating, even though the first season wrapped up the original story following along with the book, AMC has announced that they're going ahead with a second season of The Terror. This is going to be set in a completely different time. It's going to be set in World War II. Uh, It's going to be taking place in Southern California, and it's going to have to do with the uh, Japanese-American population and internment camps. So given today's political climate, that's a very interesting uh, topic to be tackling, uh, especially one topic that's not often discussed in popular culture or, uh, you know, with any kind, regardless if it's a serious drama or not, uh, it's not something that you ever really see explored. So for this to be uh, taking on what obviously will have some kind of horror overtones, it's an interesting time frame uh, to be exploring. So even though I haven't seen the first season, I'm hoping that I will enjoy it. I will also be looking forward to see what AMC does with the second season of The Terror. No, no, I agree, though. It's like, you know, because we have um, on the creative team, it's one of the guys from True Blood and then one of the directors from Skull Island, uh, Kong Skull Island, are going to be working on this. But, yeah, like the uh, doc said, bringing up a really weird point in American history that people don't really talk about. Um, and the only way I learned about this, because, man, I grew up in a military family, and you know, we, we were always talking about military history all the time, but I had never heard of these internment camps until um, George Takei had gone and put put out... Uh, oh, my. Bro- yeah, <laughs> no, but he had actually put out um, a Broadway play about the internment camps because I found out that... Yes, he did. He, uh, yeah, as a child, was actually raised in one of these. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's talked about his experiences in the internment camps at length as a guest on the Howard Stern show. I, you know, a lo- I've just like you have said, I've, I've known of Japanese internment camps, but as far as firsthand experience, a lot of what I know comes from, from George Takei stories. Yeah. You know, and it, I'm excited that they're going to be bringing this to light just because again, it's a, you know, it's a pretty nasty bit of American history that not a lot of people talk about and don't even realize happened on American soil. No, it's a dark, it's a dark, dark stain in American history. It is. I mean, it's horrific, and I hope that they handle the material the right way. Um, it'll be interesting because the terror, like the doc has, I've read the book by Dan Simmons. It's fantastic. I also have not seen a single episode of the show yet. I hope to one of these days just do a binge watch of it. Um, I know it involves, you know, monster in the Arctic, and it's an interesting story. Uh, so I'm looking forward to seeing how they handle the internment camps uh, in World War II in California for the terror, what kind of things they're going to bring to the table <clears throat> in terms of plot. Um, I've always wanted to see something involving Unit 731, uh, which is in Japan. I don't know if you guys are too familiar with that during World War II. Uh, yeah, have you not seen? Have you not seen Men Behind the Sun? I have. It's a gruesome but fantastic film based on the events of what happened in Unit 731. And I always thought that he could use an update. You know, I thought that people, you know, nowadays especially, I think it would make a great, uh, you know, horror film or even a mini TV series to talk about Unit 731. Yeah, I. Yeah, I can't I can't think of the title of it off the top of my head. I will have to look it up. But there's an excellent, excellent book that I read about that whole uh, situation as well. 
I will track down the title of that book and pass it along later on. So I know the documentary that came out was called Philosophy of the Knife. So I'm not sure if that was the same yeah. title as the book, but uh, I know the documentary no. that came out was called nope. Philosophy of the Knife. So, no, I didn't even but, know there yeah. was a documentary about that, but I did read a book about it. It does not have that title, uh, but I will find mm-hmm. it and pass it along. I mean, Monkey, have you ever heard of Unit 731? I think that's kind of an interesting topic. Uh, I, I have not. This is something completely new to me. Uh, what exactly are we talking about, guys? Uh, that's a place in Japan during World War II. Uh, Unit 731 yeah. was prepare run by General. Prepare to be sick. <laughs> yeah. It was run by uh, a general named General uh, Ichi. Uh, and basically what they did in Unit 731 was human experimentation on their own people just to see how much the body could handle uh, during warfare using different kind of chemicals and things like that. And they referred to the people as logs because basically they would just experiment on one. And when it died, they would just get another one of the logs for their experiments, you know, whether it's burning off oh. their hands, whether it was shoving things into their bodies. Uh, it was just human experimentation. And there is what? a lot of, of yeah. There's a lot to you know unpack with uh, everything the, that was done. Yeah, Google it later, man. You're you're, you're it, it will blow your mind. It's truly truly horrifying. Uh, you know, we sit and we talk about horror movies every week, and the majority of what we watch is fiction and stories, and it's it's creativity expressed in a certain way but when you get into like the real stuff like that like that's the true horror man so if you don't know about that uh do a little reading it's 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 really yeah you know shines light on just how how horrible the human species is and yeah they mm. would perform vivisections where they would basically open up a body and they would detach and reattach different organs like uh taking out the esophagus and then reattaching it to intestines uh and basically just seeing how a person could uh live with uh, different kind of brain wow. activity being attached to different parts of their body. Uh, so, yeah. It was, wow, man. <laughs> it is an intense, disgusting part of uh, Japanese history. But, yeah, it's uh, Unit 731. Just, you can look it on Wikipedia. You can Google it. Uh, it is true life horror in the nastiest of uh, senses. Yeah, there was a, there was a film uh, made called Men Behind the Sun, mm-hmm. which is like a visual represents like, – it plays almost like a documentary – but it's not mm-hmm. a documentary, and it's like a visual representation of the horrific experience that were being the horrific experiments that were being performed. It's certain it's not for the faint of heart. I, I have no. the DVD. I watched this film one time. Uh, the ghoul and I watched it together, and uh, you know, I, I can't even see a reason unless at some point we decide to cover it on the show. I don't know if that's one that I that I would revisit as as, as far as entertainment is concerned. I don't know. I'll be sitting around going. Oh, I think I'm going to watch Men Behind the Sun today because <laughs> yeah. it's just it's just not that kind of film. Uh, if we covered into the sh- covered for the show at some point, that would be great. But otherwise, uh, you know, tread lightly with Men Behind the Sun and that whole situation. But, yeah, um, I was thinking about gotcha. anybody. On one of my picks. Yeah, but it's, it's any other watch. any other any other items on the uh, on the agenda as far as uh, what's going on in the world of horror right now? Yeah, uh, we do have a couple. Of the, uh, well. Um, King, do you want to talk about the slumber party? Oh, in uh, California in October. Yeah, I mean, I could bring that up. There's also something else I wanted to bring up, too. But uh, this is kind of interesting because in October, uh, there is a Kickstarter campaign going on right now. It's called Scream Comes Home. Uh, Basically, what it is is that a group of people have started a Kickstarter to bring people to the filming sites of Scream from 1995. So they're going to be going to Stu Mocker's house, Sydney's house, the video store, the high school, 
the supermarkets, the police stations, uh, and just basically giving a tour uh, for, I think, 50 bucks. You could take this tour, but a, for $200. Kickstarter for this? That? Yeah, there's a there's Kickstarter for this? Yeah, there is a Kickstarter. And I'll, I, the link is up on our Facebook page, on the Talking Terror Facebook page. So you can take a look at it. Uh, and it gives you all the details. But for $200, you could sleep in Schumacher's house from Scream and have a screening of Scream. There's going to be food, booze, the whole nine yards, and you could actually stay overnight at the house where Scream was filmed at the end of the film, the finale, Schumacher's house, which I thought was interesting. You know, if I had the money, if I was in California, I might do it. That was my, my next question was, are there people that are actually trying to sign up for this? Oh, yeah. Yeah, people are already looking forward to it. And signing up, as far as I know, the Kickstarter is being successful so far with having people putting in their money to get away for the weekend. You know, I I find that to be very interesting because, you know, when the first screen film came along, that was a very interesting time for horror because there basically wasn't any horror. And Scream was great fun. It was great fun to go to the movie theater again and see a horror movie that was, like, scary but fun and it was exciting. And, you know, then it led to a whole assortment of copycats uh, that came out on its heels as well as many Scream sequels to various diminishing returns. And then I feel Mm -hmm. that it had been parodied so much with the scary movie series that, you know, the the Scream series itself in a way had become kind of like a, a, a a time capsule and not necessarily a joke, but um, you know, had maybe lost some of its gravity from when it first came out. I had, seen uh you know the second half of it not long ago for the first time in i don't even know how many years and was very enjoyable to watch again but still certainly uh didn't have the ability for me to to take it seriously the way that maybe i once did i i don't know that uh uh, uh the the opportunity to go on a tour of the locations from for the film scream is something that uh that appeals to me uh you know if there are people out there that want to go on a tour of the locations and then spend 200 bucks to like have a slumber party in the home from the film and, and have a sleepover party there. Like, that's great. I just, I, I feel like it's, and maybe I'm wrong. Maybe there's a rabid following of, of scream, but I just, I don't, I feel like that maybe that time has passed maybe, and maybe I'm wrong about that, but that's my initial thought about it. What do you think, monkey? No, I would definitely love to do the tour and actually just go around and see the sites and stuff like that, you know, and, you know, just because I had such a fun time when I went to Monroeville Mall and, you know, did that, you know, it's just, it, it would be fun just to see the sites and, you know, just be reminded of what happened here and there and stuff like that. And again, just walk, you know, walk amongst, a, you know, living movie set. Yeah, but 200 bucks for that, you could come out to Marin where I am, I could take you to Hitchcock <laughs> and John Carpenter for free. <laughs> well, 200 bucks is to sleep over. I think it's 50 for the tour, yeah. but 200 to sleep over. So. You don't have to do the sleepover. You could just pay the 50 bucks and go on the tour, which, you know, if you're willing to pay that much, that's great. I mean, I probably would because Scream is one of my favorite movies. And, you know, I think is it's it in your top like 20? Yeah, it's in the top <laughs> 20. But uh, it's a timepiece. Uh, you know, it's, a, it's like Halloween, you know, where it's definite. It, it created the slasher boom again. Back in '95, with all the copycats like Doctor. Dude, it, come on! It's it's not maybe in the fact that it created a slasher boom, but it's not. It, maybe that's the only way that it's like Halloween. Well, I wouldn't compare it to Halloween as far as the the story and the characters and what happened, but it's the effect that Scream had that I would compare it to Halloween, where it had all these images. Yeah, it, it, it certainly. Yeah, it certainly had a, a, a an endless 
an endless rush of imitators. All those teenage horror movies from the mid to late 90s, one after the next. So many terrible, terrible films. Some decent ones, but mostly terrible. All just WB actors, sexy-looking WB actors. Yeah, yeah, all those horror movies look like a... Like a like a WB horror horror movie from the WB. <laughs> exactly. uh, I mean, they all started. They did. They started like Katie Holmes and Sarah Michelle Geller and Freddie Prince Jr. and all those people. So, uh, so what, what what else you got? What do you got, Monkey? Damn, Doc. All right. Uh, so, you know, I've got like, my big... I, like like I had said like sorry like I had said at the start of the show like, my, the my time my time is running short and I want to make sure we get to the movie a little bit so I'm not trying to rush you guys but because uh, okay, usually I'll well, spend all show on the horror news. You know, but oh, yeah. um, actually I've got. No, it's like, uh, King, I don't know if you wanted to bring up the what I consider the big, big news. Uh, Ooh, the big, big news. Because we, 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 we got some big fucking news, in my opinion. I want to get big news. Because I think that, you uh, know, you are just as big of a fan as I am, so you can bring it up. All right. Uh, it seems like Clive Barker and Sci-Fi are going to be working together. And they're working on bringing back Nightbreed as a television show to Sci-Fi Channel. I saw something like that. Is this going to be is this going to be another tremor situation or is this going to actually happen? <laughs> no, they're they're like I don't actually mean to throw, I don't mean to throw water deep. on the excitement because um no, but but it's in development. It's supposed to be written by uh the screenwriter for Jigsaw, Josh Stolberg, and um and actually it's going to be also coincided with Morgan Creek Entertainment. So they are getting behind this um, to put this all together, and they have a storyline set in place. They are going to clean up some of the plot lines that Barker was not happy with in the movie, and they are going to continue the movie, or continue the TV series from after the movie. All right, so so Clive Barker is... is has actual hands in on this. Yeah. As of right now, yes. Okay. Yep. All right. So that, I mean, that sounds, that sounds super interesting. Yeah. yeah and I'll be curious to see how that unfolds. Yeah. It's in the very early stages. So it's not like it's actually filming right now. There's no casting. You know, it's in the early stages. Sci-fi just said they want to pick it up. So it could end up being like Tremors where they film one episode and they're like, nah, you know, we want to follow up with this. But I hope not. I mean, I'd love to see a dedicated series. Well, along with this, and I want to get back to this, is that also Sci-Fi is working to uh, work on a Dead Ringers reboot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The David Cronenberg film. Yeah, that would uh-huh. be interesting because that's one. That's one. That's one weird, twisted Cronenberg film. I mean, not that. Yes, not that all of the Cronenberg films, Cronenberg films, are 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 aren't. But that one is. That one is weird. Yeah, <laughs> definitely one of the more bizarre ones. Um, but with Jeremy Irons, I mean, if you guys haven't seen Dead Ringers, yeah, you know, check it out because it's definitely worth it if you just want a mind fuck of a movie. Um, but I'd be yeah. interested to see what they could do with a TV series because I don't know if it has that big of a fan base. Just like with, with Nightbreed, I think there's a very dedicated small fan base to both Dead Ringers and Nightbreed. And I wonder if it's going to bring in the numbers that they want for a TV series. Now, the. the uh... King and I have talked about this a lot. So, you know, we have talked about Nightbreed, how it could work as a show, um, because you can you could have done the storyline where it takes place before the movie and had them mm-hmm. of create, creating Midian, you know, and rising up to the point, you know, because we're talking about centuries of storyline right. just there. 
you know, or you can sit there and carry it on like the Nell comics did in the nineties of mm-hmm. taking place after the movie. And what right. what I'm hoping they will do is because we're looking at a new cast, you know, n- new time frame, you know, you know, is not set in the nineties. <laughs> um, is what I'm hoping for is that they go ahead and do like the first four or five episodes where they just retell the movie, retell it with you know modern setting, the cast that they have now, so that you can be familiar with who is supposed to be everybody in the cast, and then move mm. the TV series from there. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and time will tell if they do that. You know, I think that's the good direction to go with. But with Clyde Barker involved, I'm sure he probably has his own ideas of what he wants to bring to it um, in terms of plot, in terms of what he wants to do with the century, story of Midian. So, you know, like I said, time will tell. It's in the early stages. Uh, but I'm looking forward to it either way. And hopefully this uh, gets some legs and gets off the ground. Oh, absolutely. I'm so excited about this one. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Doc, we have a movie tonight before you go. Uh, it is your pick this week, Beyond the Gates from 2016, directed by Jackson Stewart. So why don't you take us on a little trip before you have to go about what you thought about it. Yeah, 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 because my, my time is starting to get tremendously short. But, yeah, we have Beyond the Gates from 2016, directed by Jackson Stewart, written by Jackson Stewart and Steven Scarlatta, uh, produced by and also starring Barbara Crampton. Uh, wonderful to see Barbara Crampton as always. Uh, Graham Skipper, Chase Williamson, and Brea Grant. Um, you know, I I had heard about this one. I had seen that it was on Netflix. And I was looking forward to seeing it. The plot sounded super interesting to me. Uh, we have oh, yeah. two brothers that are kind of estranged. They have taken two different paths in life. And their father uh, had a had a video store uh, uh, based in VHS was a was a was a kind of weird guy that that dedicated his life to this and they and they uh, you know the father has disappeared and the brothers have to reunite to kind of pack up the store and and close that down and this leads them to discovering a VHS video game. Uh, that takes them, you know, into, uh, uh, leads them into a, a, a horror-based mystery uh, with Barbara, Barbara Crampton playing the gatekeeper, uh, and that is kind of the, the general plot of Beyond the Gates. Mm-hmm. What did they do? You know, I had high hopes for this one, and I have to be honest, I thought that this was a big steaming pile of shit. <laughs> I did not enjoy this movie at all. I thought that the characters were not interesting. I thought that it took forever to get going, even though the movie was only an hour and 20 minutes. And uh, this just wasn't for me. Um, I, I, I remember the VHS video games, the, the board games that would go along with VHS. That, I feel, was a, a thing they tried to do. And maybe some people remember those things fondly, but I feel like those were things that they tried to do with VHS technology that just never really worked as good as, and, and maybe they could not have worked good because it, was a, because it was a VHS, but something that never really worked out all that well. And, you know, I just, I just couldn't get into this Definitely. film. I couldn't get behind it. And, uh, you know, I'm, I, maybe you guys will feel differently. Otherwise, I'm sorry that I subjected you to it. <laughs> 
Well, Monkey, what would you think of Beyond the Gates? All of that being said, I just want to say I still have my copy of Nightmare and Atmosphere, <laughs> which is Nightmare 2. <laughs> um, and this is my third time seeing the movie. And, um, oh, wow. Yeah, and the, king and I, <laughs> the King and I have watched this last year when it first came out on Netflix. And like you, Doc, like the – what they tell you on Netflix for, you know, the hook of getting you into to watching this movie sounds fucking awesome. You know, of yeah. just two estranged brothers have to go, you know, in search of their father and, you know, the only way they can do that is going into the game and traveling beyond the gate. You know, through the magic of VHS tapes. Yeah. <laughs> All right. And it's just I feel like if this had movie had been made, um, you know, right before the bubble pops in horror, you know, like you know, nineties when you know, VHS games were first coming out, it's like I I feel like if, you know, like Clive Barker, you know, had gotten a hold of this then we would have gotten something completely different where we would have had the money to go where the, the screenwriters wanted to go. You know, we would have actually had a land beyond the gate instead of what we got in the basement. <laughs> right. I'm just, I'm, I'm just not so sure because while, like, at that time you said, oh, if this could have happened at that time, uh, you know, I don't know if that was the right time. I feel that there are that there is a large population of movie watching and genre watching people that have tremendous fondness and nostalgia for VHS tapes, and I am one of them. I don't have any more VHS tapes. I don't own a VHS. I don't. I don't even. I don't even own a VCR. Uh, if I wanted to, I have a couple of VHS tapes. If I wanted to watch them, I would have no way to watch them. I am. I, I do in in a way. Uh, long for the days of the, the video store and the VHS. We talked about this at length. Uh, mm-hmm. oh, yeah. I feel that those VHS games is maybe not something that there's such a nostalgia market for. And with that being said, I'm about to enter a garage. My signal may cut out. I will be looking forward to checking in on your discussion uh, the rest of the way. Um, but I was happy to be here for the time that I was, and I will be looking forward yeah. uh, to resuming with you guys in our regularly scheduled time next week. Uh, all right. Thank true. you, Doc, for your pick. <laughs> we'll see you next time, Doc. <laughs> all right. Okay. All right. So King, that was King, what did you doc. think of it? Uh, you know what? I, you know, I know that the Doc, you know, he had his opinion about it being a big steaming pile of shit. Uh, you know, I've seen this movie three or four times, uh, just like you, Monkey. Uh, but I enjoy it. Um, you know, it's definitely a slice of nostalgia. To me, it just reminds me of, like, a horror-themed Jumanji uh, and the way that they have oh, a yeah. board game VHS uh, playing throughout. Um, I just had a really good time with it. Um, you know, the characters are what they are, but I kind of related to them. And we'll get into it a little later about, you know, my you know, relations to the characters. But overall, the story was just like a nostalgia trip you know, with the VHS store and seeing all the VHS tapes and, you know, the heavy use of VCRs. Um, you know, it's not, uh, you know, the scariest of movies. If you're looking for a lot of scares, you're probably not going to be looking for the right movie. But if you're looking for just a nice trip down nostalgia lane from the 80s and 90s, I think this is the perfect movie to watch because it's got a great horror, uh, not horror, but the 80s synth pop soundtrack. 
reminiscent of uh, John Carpenter from the 80s. Um, a lot of good oh, yeah. use of colors in certain sequences, uh, purples and blues and other colors like that that I really appreciated. Uh, so, yeah, for me, it was just a nostalgia trip. It wasn't like I was looking at this movie going, I need to critically think about this movie. And what's the message behind Beyond the Gates? There's no message. It's just a fun ride. And that's what I appreciate about it. Yeah, and this is definitely, I think, for people who grew up in that time frame. You know, mm-hmm. it, you know, it's it the the purpose of it is to take you back to the VHS stores. You know, it to, to bring you back. It, this was not made for younger viewers, not not because of the not because of you know the material. You know, because it was you know too mature for them or anything like that. It's just they they simply will not get the feeling of going into a video store, you know, and we've talked about this, like the doc said, at length many, many times, but, you know, they will never understand the whole ritual of, you know, fr- Friday night, Saturday night, go to the video store, wander around for an hour with your friends or girlfriend or whatever, tr- trying to figure out something to watch, you know, everyone's milling about, you know, and yeah, it's just, it was that thing, and the whole thing of you, after you finally decide a movie to watch, you go to get it, and it's not fucking behind the goddamn case, you know? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was the worst. I mean, that was horrifying. Because <laughs> yeah. then you had to go to the other video store and hope they had it, and, you know, a, a ride around town looking for that one copy of Humanoids from the Deep. <laughs> so I get that. But, you yeah. know, and I don't really want to break this movie down scene by scene because I think we're past that. Uh, on the show, honestly. Um, But there is one thing I wanted to bring up in the beginning of the movie when you kind of get introduced to uh, John Hardesty, who's the father, and he's with his wife, and he's with his two kids, and he's opening up this video store. Um, Just very proud of it, grand opening. It's going to be awesome. But there's this one little look that he gives at the store, kind of like he's uh, looking for boating. And I didn't really understand it. I didn't know how it was going to play later on. But I thought it was an interesting choice, not to have him just all smiles, but all of a sudden have this look of, like, there's doom coming. Yeah, yeah. And, again, I don't want to sit there and break this down scene by scene either in, you know, sequence. But at mm-hmm. the same time, while we're still talking about the beginning of the movie, it's just, I just want to say it's like, despite anything else that this movie had, it fucking nailed the opening sequence and drew me in. Just because the opening sequence, like you said, is this awesome, awesome John Carpenter-like synth music. You have these awesome fonts that are done in this glowy purple shit, all while just seeing the insides of a VCR while it's working. And it's like, I don't know what it was about those opening credits, but it's like, it just nailed it. It made me feel like I was watching a Carpenter movie, and, you know, it sucked me in. You, even going back and wa- watching this movie for the third time, knowing 100% what's getting ready to happen, seriously, I just fucking love those opening credits. <laughs> yeah, it, it was great. And like I said, I mean, it, and it kind of takes you through it really kind of quickly. You know, father opening up the store, and then they cut to present time where you find out that the father's been missing for several months, um, and they're deciding they're going to close down the video store, pack everything up, and move on. And you get introduced to Gordon, and his brother, John, uh, and I thought that was a good dynamic because like the doc had said, you have two brothers that are estranged and they're both kind of on different paths in their lives. Gordon obviously has moved out of town. He has a girlfriend, uh, Margot, and he's got a wow. house and a mortgage. And Oh, yeah, we'll get to Bray Grant. <laughs> um, <laughs> you have these, these brothers, 
and like I said, you know, Gordon's moved on. He's, he's living his life. And then you have John, who still drives around in this sweet fucking ride. I mean, I love that car, that big fucking purple muscle car that he had. I thought that was great, you know, that he had that. But he's obviously on a different track, you know, doing odd jobs here or there. So you have that kind of divide with these brothers. And you can sense that there's that divide. So what did you think about the dynamic of the two brothers, uh, you know, as, as right. characters? Yeah, well, we have John and his big-ass, you know, purple muscle car. You know, unfortunately, he wasn't playing any Ario Speedwagon. You know, no, like they at were all. all. <laughs> it's like they were a karate kid, you know. <laughs> no, but, it's that, you know, we, we, yeah, but we definitely have this dynamic of uh, John and Gordon going on where John stayed behind, you know, I, you know, you and I talked about this it's, you know, off the air is like, you know, I guess to take care of the family, take care of the, the dad because things get weird later on, you know. But at the same time, he doesn't really get anywhere in this apparently middle of nowhere town. You know, it's like right. comments, are, comments are made about, you know, where, where can we go to eat? It's like uh, fucking nowhere, really. It's like, you know, so it's making <laughs> me feel like this is nowhere, you know. And while Gordon went to go get his shit straight, went off you know, got him, got, got himself a fucking, you know, cheesy ass four door. Got himself a mortgage. You know, he's wearing button up shirts. With, you know, while wearing his Henry Rollins glasses. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. But he, but he's trying to get his life squared away as well. But, but at the same time, things are definitely not all that they seem because. Gordon definitely has some fucking skeletons in his closet, you know, and he's trying really, really hard to, you know, to become that that person that you think you see. Right, and it's obvious he doesn't want to be there, you know, where John is kind of happy to be in the father's store, packing up videotapes, watching him, eating popcorn, just having a good time. You could tell Gordon would like to be anywhere else other than this place and packing up the belongings. He just wants to pack the shit up and go. No interest. Yeah, he yeah, he seemed like he probably would have been just as happy to just set the motherfucker on fire. Yeah. Go ahead. No, go ahead, King. I was going to say, go ahead with your thoughts. Oh, no, but I was going to say, didn't you say that the, the store that this put, takes place in the movie is actually a very famous video store? In uh, North Hollywood, California, yeah. It's called, uh, it came from Eddie Brandt's basement in Hollywood. Uh, that's still open to this day. You can go there uh, and rent VHS tapes. You can go there and rent DVDs. Uh, you can find them online. Uh, so they are open, so you can go there. So it actually is a real place. It's not a place they just made up for the uh, movie. You know, it's an actual real place, which is funny because when you see the title of the store, it came from Eddie Brandt's basement. The father's name is John Hardesty. So who the fuck's Eddie Brandt? <laughs> Why would he name the store Eddie Brandt? Unless that's somebody that he knew, but at the same time, no, it has, actually is a real place that's still open to this day. One of the very few video rental stores open in America right now, which I, I love. I, I thank God that that place is still open. There's somebody out there still renting videotapes and DVDs. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, but we have all this stuff going on, you know, and you know we start to get introduced to our cast because again, you know, Gordon would rather burn this fucker down than actually deal with it, you know, and then we right. start to get get introduced to other members of the cast, like Margot, 
<laughs> yeah, no, you had a thing for Margot. I was like, man, you know, the monkey definitely has a thing for Bray Grant in this movie. Um, you know, uh, and I liked her in the movie. I liked the character. You know, it's not like she added a hell of a lot to the plot, but I just liked her introduction as the girlfriend of Gordon. And you find out that there are some things going on with her and Gordon that happened in the past. Uh, that, yes. you know, I, I would think of probably any other girlfriend might leave, but she's stuck in there, which is kind of impressive. Yeah, and and I'm not a fan of blondes in any way, shape, or form, but, I, yeah, I, I was happy looking at her in this movie. But, yeah, she <laughs> also did, she also was doing a really good job of, like, you know, her character trying to bring the brothers together, try to keep things lighthearted, you know, as, you know, any of us would try and do, trying to be the reasonable one in a very awkward, stressful situation. <laughs> right. And she did it well, you know, I mean, for the movie, for what it's worth. <laughs> you know, despite what the doc had said, I think all the characters worked on their own individual levels. Um, so we get introduced to Margot, but we also get introduced to Hank, who I think was just basically an extra for a Stephen King movie waiting to happen. He was just kind of sitting <laughs> in the background waiting for another fucking greaser movie that Stephen King was going to make with his hairstyle. for it. For sometimes they come back three. <laughs> yeah, I felt like he was waiting for that casting call. And then all of a sudden, Beyond the Gates happened. He's like, fuck it, I'll take it. He's like, all right, Hank, you're in this movie with your switchblade and your weird uh, devil lock hair. <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. But, 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 but the pulsing red-headed dude with his one scraggly devil lock wannabe thing coming down the middle of his head. I was like, hey, yeah. dude. <laughs> he was trying to jump in. I'm going to go with these six hairs on the top of my head and weave them together so they look like a mighty devil lock. <laughs> I'm going to get all the chicks, man. All of them are going to come running for a piece of Hank. <laughs> but again, you know, Hank, you know, in the movie as he's presented, is kind of a douchebag. You know, he's not a very nice guy, but he's friends with John. And that's the interesting dynamic, and we had talked about it last night is that, you know, as much of a douchebag as he is, he's still a good friend to John. You know, he was the one that when John said his father went missing, he was right there by his side throughout the entire thing, whereas Gordon was reluctant to come and come back to town and to figure out what happened to their dad. And I felt like that was that dynamic. So as much of an asshole as Hank may be, he cares about his friend, and he wasn't going to let him suffer yeah. Well, he's, he's one of those awkward friends where it's like he is a true friend, to you, but he is a complete asshole to the rest of the world, and it's and you know and you just and you just can't express to the world how great a friend you have because he's such a dick to everybody else. <laughs> yeah, just everybody, you know, trying to hit on Margot when they're at the uh, the, the restaurant, you know, kind of giving her the eyes and stuff like that, mm-hmm. and hitting on the bartender, you know, and just trying to just be a, a slime ball. But at the same time, when it comes to John, he's very protective of the guy. You yeah. know, just willing to go the extra mile. Whereas Gordon was like, no, I have my J. Crew t-shirt on, and I have stuff to do this weekend, like a wine tasting. <laughs> I have no time for you, John. <laughs> <laughs> Which, again, is why I like those two characters. You know, whereas Gordon would likely, like you had said, burn that store down. John likes that store. You know, it brings back memories from his childhood. That might not have been so great, but that store was something that he really appreciated. Right. So, so you know, yeah. Y- yeah, you know, so we have that, and then 
you know, it's agreed that everyone's going to go ahead and crash at Dad's house, you know, which apparently mm-hmm. hasn't been cleaned in fucking forever. <laughs> no. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I had a feeling that he probably wasn't staying a lot at the store. and Not at the store, but at the house. I think he was probably staying at the mm-hmm. store a lot more. And that's what I kind of wish no. they explored. I don't know what you thought, but I felt like the father aspect of it kind of got tossed by the wayside. Like, I would have liked a little bit more talk from Derek, the cop, about the father's disappearance and how maybe he started to turn a different way. Like, he just started becoming more and more of a hermit and staying more and more at the store and more withdrawn. But they never really bring it up. It's just very light conversation on the father. Yeah, we don't really get anything except that the father is the hook that, you know, is the story and gets the story going is because, you know, the father disappears and it's up to them to come back because I think it, he disappeared and this time it's been seven months, you know. Seven so months, yeah. The, the, yeah, so this time they're just assuming he's dead, you know, and go ahead and just start packing up and stuff like that. Um, yeah, hmm. but they don't really go into it. They don't tell you what's going on with the father. You know, like giving you anything about how often these disappearances have been happening, how long they've been happening, you know, and we learn later what's going on, but. (laughs) Right. But as you pointed out the other day, that Gordon had said that this isn't the first time the father has disappeared. Like, it's not the first time that he's gone away. You know, it's that's why he wasn't so caring about this time. Because uh, he's done this before, you know, it's not a big deal. But it's like, yeah, but this time it's been seven months. You know, it's a lot longer, I'm sure, than he's disappeared before. And I think there should be more concern about where he is. But there's really no investigation going on. There's no kind of, no. what happened to him? Who was he talking to? What was he doing before he disappeared? It's just kind of like he disappeared. Uh, might as well just close up shop and, uh, you know, put the house up for sale. And I felt like that could have been an interesting plot point to kind of bring up. It didn't have to be a big deal, but they at least could have bring up a little bit more of the investigation and the, what happened to the father. Also, uh, it's like just story-wise, it's like I think we could have had more, um, a little bit more clashing between the two brothers of one wanting to just completely get rid of the story and the other one just wanting to keep it. You know, I, I think yeah. we should have had that dynamic there. You know, but it's, for some reason, as as much as John loved the story and said he, you know, Hey, remember all the times, good times we had here. He wasn't really that adamant about the fitting and trying to keep it open. No, which was surprising. Like this is your opportunity to kind of keep it going, you know, and have your father's legacy kind of going on with the store. Why not keep it open? You know, we're his sons. You know, let's keep it going. You know, let's keep the memory of our father alive by running the store. But like you had said, Gordon just doesn't give a shit. Just close it up. Yeah, you know, I don't yeah. care. You know, let's get some cash out of this deal. You know, let's sell the store, sell the house, we'll get some cash, we'll split it up, and we'll move on. You know, nobody cares anymore about this store anyway. But I, I think that people do. You know, that's another thing. Not like anybody really cared about this video store, except for Derek, the cop who comes by, and he wants that copy of Operation Orion on VHS. Because he's the that made him want to be a cop. <laughs> <laughs> I love John. He goes, it's a terrible movie, and that's why he's a terrible cop. <laughs> you know, I love that yeah. little line that he had, you know. But but while all this is going on, we find out that John is actually homeless and has been kind of like a bit of a vagrant doing odd jobs here and there. I have a feeling um, 
that him and Hank have been doing questionable things all the time. Oh yeah. In in and out of town. You know. But uh, you know, so the brothers agree that, you know, that he'll he'll stay there with them while they get all of this stuff squared away. Only reason I'm bringing up the what's going on and whatnot is because it's nighttime and we gotta bring up ambient sex. Yeah, that's one thing I wanted to bring up on the show. You know, I mean I know it's just me and, Jerry, and we talked about it the other night. I thought it was the craziest thing because there is a scene in the movie where Margot gets into bed with Gordon and she goes, I just took an Ambien. Let's have sex. And he goes, well, you know, why? Like, you know, I don't know. Uh, it's my father's bed. And she's like, well, come on, let's fool around before I go to sleep. And the first thing I thought about was Role Models, which is a movie with Sean oh, William yes. Scott and Paul Rudd. that came in a couple of years ago where Sean William Scott borrows a bunch of Ambien from Paul Rudd. And he goes, yeah, we're just going to take a bunch of Amy and we're going to get all fucking sleepy and try to fuck. And I was like, is that a thing? And, and Monkey, you actually found out that actually that is a thing. Ambient sex is yeah, a thing. Yeah, it's, I, yeah. Because, I, like, again, I thought, like, they were just making a joke, like, the movie you had said. But then, yeah, I found out it's an actual thing where people pop ambient right before they have sex and whatnot just because it's supposed to make you care, more carefree and whatnot. And also... Ambient apparently works with the part of the brain where hypnosis works. So it messes with your brain waves there. And, you know, people have um, nicknamed it like the the knockout drug, the zombie drug, all that kind of stuff. Because when taking it, you are willing to do stuff that you normally wouldn't do. And then you forget about them because it wipes it from your brain. Wow. Yeah, I've never taken Ambient. Because I know it's a, a sleep drug, you know, it helps you fall asleep. But I've never taken Ambien, but I've heard stories about people that have taken Ambien, you know, that have crazy dreams, they sleepwalk and everything like that. Um, I just, I've never heard of it. And then, especially Ambien sex, I was like, that's a thing? Like, that's not just a joke? Like, you know, wow, that's actually and, a thing. I was like, I don't know. <laughs> and on top of that, I don't care whose bed it is, when she was looking like she was in the state that she was, yeah, you know, and she's like, "You want to go?" And it's like, "No, it's my dad's bed." Uh, and it's like, "Seriously, dude? Did do you see what's right next to you?" <laughs> yeah, like she and, wants to have freaky ambient sex. Like, just go for it, bro. You know, go to the floor, go to the couch. You know, go somewhere else. And it's not like it's yeah. a single family house. They probably got various bedrooms in this house. Just go fucking one of the bedrooms. You know why? You know your girlfriend wants you, dude. Like, go for it. You no. Know? I don't. I don't feel comfortable. And she's like, "All right, I'm going to bed." Damn it! <laughs> opportunity. He could have had freaky ambient sex, but no, he decided to go to sleep. I was like, "Ah, well, missed opportunity." <laughs> but you know, he he took me as kind of like a wet blanket. Like he's that guy that's just like, I don't want to hang out tonight because Dancing with the Stars is on. It's like, come on, bro, we're gonna have fun. No, no, can't miss Shark Tank. <laughs> come on. <laughs> He just, he reminds me of one of those characters. Like, you want to go out and party? And he's like, no, 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 I, I got a show tonight. I, can, I can't come out tonight, guys. Like, All right, you're going to miss a good time. He's like, yeah, have fun. Have a drink for me. He's like, yeah. Definitely, I definitely would not want to hang out with Gordon. <laughs> you don't have any type no, of no, no, no. I was, I was more attached to John. I was like, John's that guy. I'd love to have a vodka soda with him and just fucking party. Because he probably knows how to have a good time. Not so much Hank, because I'd be like, Hank, stop hitting on that girl. She doesn't want you. Stop putting things in her drink, Hank. 
No, it's cool, man. Because Hank is totally a day rape kind of guy. <laughs> oh my God, you know he is. I mean, but that's the whole thing too, and and we'll get to it in a little bit with Hank and the waitress. That just made no fucking sense to me at all, and I want to get your thoughts on that as well. Um, but I want to get into uh, the office segment of the movie where they actually find a key to the office, to the dad's office, and they look through it. Gordon. Again, the wet blanket. I don't want to look through anything. He goes, we should look through everything. This is a father's office. Don't you want to find out what he was into and what he was looking at? No, I don't really want to know. And I love it when they find the tape, and John goes, what if it's a sex tape? And he's like, you want to watch our father have sex? And he's like, well, why not? (laughs) (laughs) He's like, who knows what it could be? But that's our first introduction to Beyond the Gates this uh, VHS board game that they found um, and our introduction to Barbara Crampton as the gatekeeper. And uh, like I said, you love Bray Grant in this movie. I fucking love Barbara Crampton in this movie. And I was like, ah, oh, you know, she's just, she looks still good. Like, you know, even after all these years, even though you don't get a full body shot of her, really, I was like, she is still a Fox Barbara Crampton. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, yeah, but Barbara Crampton from Reanimator fame, you know, <laughs> who was looking fine as hell in that movie. Yeah, she, she still looks great in this movie. Yeah, and especially From Beyond, too. I don't know if you ever saw that movie, From Beyond, where she puts on the uh, dominatrix outfit and tries to seduce uh, Jeffrey Combs. But if you haven't, nope. watch it. Nope. It, <laughs> it is fine. Barbara Crampton right there, you know, wearing the uh, dominatrix outfit and trying to seduce Jeffrey Combs. But she looks fantastic, and obviously you find out she's the gatekeeper of this Beyond the Gates VHS board game. Um, then they have that moment where there's a flash from the VHS, and then all of a sudden it's 5 o'clock. Like, hours have passed, so they don't know why. And they just have no explanation for it other than, well, you know, oh, my God, it's 5 o'clock already. Let's go home. Like, they don't question it. They, and, you know, that was the one thing. I think I'd be the one to question like, wasn't it like afternoon just a minute ago? Why all of a sudden is it now five o'clock? Yeah. Like, and they don't question well, at all. They don't say anything about it. No. Um, but then we start to have the weird stuff going on where, you know, we start to have this slight bonding of brothers slowly start to happen. Because when they first met, they could bit, barely yeah. shake hands. You know, they they could bear like you know they're, they're so fucking awkward they can't even shake hands. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, with your brother that you haven't seen in years. You know, and then when they say goodnight, they actually like you know tr- try to do more of a handshake. They try to do more of a dap. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they do the little uh, fist bump, and they just kind of yeah. look at each other like, yeah, that probably wasn't gonna work. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? Was, was, it, was that as awkward for you as it was for me? <laughs> and it looked awkward. It's like, yeah, we don't really know how to be brothers at this point. So, you know, we're just going to go ahead and, and uh, not do that anymore. Um, you know, but, yeah, the, the game is interesting because it's Margot that actually is the one that says, let's play this game that you guys found. You know, it sounds fun. You know, I mean, we've been sitting here, we've been talking. You guys seem to be getting along. Let's play the game. You know, let's get into it. And I love her reaction to Barbara Cranston. She goes, who's the babe? And I was like, yeah, that's right. Barbara Cranston. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Yeah, I was, I was excited to see her to say that because I was like, well, 
you know, the monkey loves Ray Grant in this movie, so he's probably like, threesome, threesome, threesome. Like, <laughs> I would love it. No, no, and, and it was cool, though, because, the, but then we start to have the Jumanji setup of, you know, we, ha- we have a horror host, you know, Barbara Crampton, come along as Evelyn, and she instructs them on how to set up the board and stuff like that. <clears throat> you know, and they set stuff up and, th- you know, things start to get a little bit weird. You know, because we find out that this is not your average VHS game from back in the day. She she's pausing and waiting for you to say stuff, which I like. <laughs> and that's the one thing that I really really liked about this whole segment um, throughout the throughout the movie. Really, is that uh, you know, and I, I actually had to look it up while we were talking. Is that the the gatekeeper's name is Evelyn? That's Barbara Cranston's yeah. name. Um, yeah. But it's the fact that she is waiting for your response. You know, it's one of those things where she just stares at you when she's on the tape. You know, it just blinks and just kind of looks at you until you actually respond. And then she starts talking about where to put the pieces on the board and what to look for next. And I actually really appreciated that because it kind of added that kind of creepy element to it, that she's not going to say anything until you actually interact with her. Right. But, again, this is where we start to have the whole Jumanji ripoff thing because the game yeah. is now 100% interactive with you. Mm-hmm. Well, and it's the, the fact the, that, the, uh, yeah, go ahead. No, I was going to say, now we're starting to learn that the game is alive. It is alive. Um, and it, it's, uh, they call Derek over the cop at one point to kind of look at this tape because for some reason the gatekeeper, Evelyn, knows things about them that a board game shouldn't know. It's like it's weird that she knows these things about mm-hmm. the players. And what I found was yeah. interesting was that when Derek comes over, he looks at the tape, and he's like, it's just static on the screen, guys. What the fuck are you guys looking at? And like, you don't see her on the screen? No, it's just static, guys. Like, why the fuck did you call me over? Mm. I'm a cop. I'm on call. I don't have time for this. And I was like, okay, see, now the game's fucking with them. <laughs> you know, where they could see her, but he can't see her. Yeah, and, and they called Derek over, which, is, you know, is the, the bad cop who loves Operation Orion. Because oh, yeah. the game had talked, the game had told them you have to play the game because that's the only way you can get your father's soul back. Yes, and it was weird that she had said that because it's how did you know our father was missing? This isn't an ordinary board game, you know. That's why they mm-hmm. called him over. He only sees static; they see the video, and of course, he's like, "Get the fuck out of here, guys!" You know, I'm yeah. leaving. You know, good luck with your game. And that's mm-hmm. when they decide we're just going to put the thing to bed. We're going to shut off the TV, and that's it. We're not going to play this game anymore. It's stupid. You know, you would think roll credits <laughs> in any other movie. Yeah. You know, it's going to be done. <laughs> you know, but, of yeah, course, but, they have to go back to it. Yeah, but we also have the thing of when Derek leaves, all of a sudden he, like, hears this high-pitched sound, and you see him fuck with his ear for a second or something mm-hmm. like that, and then he, take, then, then he takes off all pissed off because he felt that they were playing a joke on him. Yeah. Yeah, that's what he said. You know, he thought that they were fucking with him. Mm. He's on call. He doesn't have time for that. But, you know, again, in this town, I'm like, what are you busy doing? <laughs> you know, it doesn't <laughs> seem like it's a high crime area. You're probably just sitting in your squad car watching Operation Orion and just hanging out. <laughs> Why not try to help no. out your friends? <laughs> he, he's, he's probably waiting for Hank to start a bar fight or something like that. Probably. It's going to happen anytime, I'm sure, if he knows Hank's in town. Mm. Um but this is also something that we talked about the other night. With this movie in general, I mean, we'll, we'll continue, but I felt like this movie could have been a great 
um, Are You Afraid of the Dark episode or like a Tales from the Crypt episode, like a half hour, 45 minute short. Mm-hmm. Um, I felt like they easily could have wrapped it up, especially when you get introduced to Elric, the guy that owns the antiquity store. And oh, my favorite character in this entire movie. So <laughs> fucking good. Like Elric is boss. Like I loved Elric in this movie. Because he's such like an odd guy, but I felt like he's the type of character that you would see in an Are You Heard of the Dark episode or a Tales from the Crypt episode. Like he's the guy that has all the knowledge, but he's mm-hmm. not going to give it all to you. And I love the fact that he was in it, but at the same time, like yeah, this is perfect for like a Nickelodeon short back in the '90s or even a, a Tales from the Crypt. No, I agree, and I really enjoyed his acting, and it really threw me off. I like, I went to go you know, look him up because he has a face that makes you think like you've seen him somewhere before. Uh, his mm. his voice, you know, may, makes you sound like, you know, it, you've definitely heard it before. And, you know, look, looked up his IMDb credits. He's only got like 15 credits or something like that. He's hardly been in anything. Yeah, he hasn't been in much, you know. And, and uh, you know, I was kind of surprised he hasn't been in much because like you had said, he's got that face where you're like, oh, I'm sure I've seen this guy on a TV show before, you know, like Supernatural or something like that. But it's like, no, I, I haven't seen this guy in anything. I guess except for this particular movie. But he was so good, as opposed to the actors, I kind of wanted more Elric. Honestly, I'm kind of glad he's in this movie to kind of break up the, you know, the monotony of these other characters. You know, to kind of have the quirky, you know, story. Kind of like Friday the 13th part of the series. You know, the entire story. <laughs> everything has a story, and everything is cursed in the story. You know, it was kind of fun. Um, and I also like the fact that uh, John finds that dagger like that 80s-looking, like, metal-covered dagger <laughs> with all the curves in it. And he goes, what's that? And he's like, whoop. And he's like, nope, nope, took it. Walks out of the store with a gigantic <laughs> fucking dagger in his pants. He's like, what'd you steal that for? He goes, I don't know. It's cool, man. You know? Look what I got. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, it, it represents part of the game, which is, you know, kind of the movie winking at you going, oh, no, that dagger's on one of the visions on the cards. It's like, all right, that's fine. Um, but this is uh, going into the whole thing where it's like, okay, the, the game is kind of persuading him to do things. Because why else would you steal that dagger? You know, that specific dagger, because he saw it on the board. So obviously yeah. he feels like this is going to be part of the game, and that's why he stole it. He doesn't know why. He just decided to take it, you know, but it's kind of foreshadowing in a way. Yeah, but then, and then you brought up the cards, and we have the whole thing about <clears> – <throat> The four cards that are related to the four keys, because we oh, have yeah. The, yeah. Let's uh, talk about that for a second. Yeah, so, yeah. So, yeah, so we yeah, me. so we have yeah because we have the um the drifter, the maiden, the noble, and the father. And yeah. you know these are the names of the cards. You know they they give them names that almost sound like tarot card names, but then mm-hmm. the drawings on them like. Again, n- no guesswork on who each card is supposed to be. Right. It's like, you know, you look yeah. at it, and it's like, oh, you know. <laughs> yeah, and that's what I wanted to talk about, because they, they show these cards, like the Drifter, the Maiden, the Noble, and the Father. You look at the cards, and they look exactly like the characters that are in the movie. Derek, Hank, mm-hmm. the Father, Margot, and they're like, well, who are these people? This is so weird. Like, who who is the Noble, and who who's... Who's the drifter? It's like, how do you not see this, guys? Like, how do you not see that these people are exactly looking like your friends in real life? 
Yeah. Am I seeing something different? I don't get it. (laughs) And the fact that they didn't, like, it's not like they had tried and that, like, done something that looks like tarot cards, you know, and it slightly looks like each character is like No, it's a straight up line drawing of each character. You know, it, it, the the drawings were uh, similar to that of airplane safety guideline pamphlets. You know, <laughs> oh, yeah. you know, with the mask drop above, and they're like, "Oh no, grab the mask for the safety." You know? But yeah, it was one of those things. Where it, like, it, How do you not draw the lines? <laughs> you know, they're like, "I don't know what these cards mean. What's what's the drifter? And what's this?" I mean, come on. Guys, like you're, you're smarter than this. Like, stop being stupid. Like, you know, stop trying to pretend like you don't know who these characters are on these cards. But like, oh, no, I don't know. I don't... Who's the maiden? <laughs> yeah, we know who that is. <laughs> you know, and I don't know if I. On top of that, it's like I don't know if I call her the maiden when she wants to do freaky ambient sex. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it'd be different if they had the card called the Virgin. Then I'd be like, all right, no, that's obviously wrong. But the maiden. You know, why not? Maiden's getting into some freaky shit, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> so why not? Um, but with the Drifter being the first card they draw, and this is what uh, it's interesting, because there's uh, four keys on the board that leads to them opening up the gates. And each key yes. has to be found. And there's a clue to each of these keys. And with the Drifter... It's you have to reach into the poison organ of the drifter to find out where it's going to be located. And X marks the spot. And, of course, conveniently in the backyard, there's a little X in their backyard where they have to start digging to find out where this key is. <laughs> Never saw that before in the backyard. So weird. There's an X there? Okay, well, I guess this is where we need to yeah. go. Yeah, there's this, in the patch of all the dirt, there's a patch of grass that's actually an X. <laughs> yeah you know and of course within that is a rag doll and you know okay well what the fuck is this I don't know oh there's a key inside let me get this key out of here because this is obviously what we need to get and this is where the movie gets interesting because you have the rag doll and you have John basically grabbing at it but at the same time you have Hank across town trying to hit on the waitress I just didn't get it I was like does the waitress like Hank and she's just fucking with him, or does she really not like him? Because it seems like for a second, she wants to get a little taste. But then she's like, no, I don't know. Like, I'm like, all right. <laughs> it was no, just so it's, it's, they were a couple at one time, and then they broke up, and he's been trying to get back together with her. Okay, see, I didn't get that at all, so I'm glad they brought that up. I just thought it was like a one-time yeah. thing where he tried to hit on her, you know, and it didn't work, and now he's trying again. And no, it, it was oh, a thing wow. of, you know, something about don't you, don't you, uh, he was saying stuff like, don't you miss, you know, being with me and stuff like that, you know. Oh, see, okay. So, yeah, that went over my yeah. head. So I didn't even get that. I just thought this was a waitress that he's just been trying to hook up with for a long time and she's just not feeling it at all. Except for this one night where she's like, I don't know, maybe, you know, all of a sudden she's like, nah, I'm not, <laughs> you know, I'm, <laughs> I'm not interested. But it leads to one of the yeah. great practical effects of the movie with uh, John across town ripping apart this uh, voodoo doll and Hank feeling something going on with his stomach. And, yeah, why don't you describe this scene? Because I know you love practical effects, and I thought that you would love this scene. <laughs> I do. And, yes, we, we have our brothers across town uh, pulling and tugging at this doll, uh, ripping apart the seams, you know, t- trying to get it open. And, meanwhile, we, <laughs> we have 
<coughs> excuse me. <coughs> yeah, we have Hank in the bar, and he drops down to the ground. You know, blood starts to come come out of his stomach and stuff like that, and he's grabbing at his stomach because he doesn't know what's going on. He says it feels like something's in there. You know, so we're dealing with some straight-up voodoo kind of shit now. You know, and blood starts to splurt out of his mouth and, you know, splurt out of his stomach. But then the <laughs> the brother, John, gets tired of, you know, actually pulling on it and says, fuck this. Pulls out a switchblade, cuts open the doll, and then we get the lovely, lovely effects of across town, Hank's intestines just fly up into the air. <laughs> All oh, that like, was so good. And, oh, man. And... Completely, completely covering the waitress <laughs> in blood. Yeah, the fact that the intestines fly up like magic, and he's mm. oh, just dying. I was like, oh, okay, this is a great practical effect, and I enjoyed it. You know, and that's how they get no. their first key to unlock part of the gate. Yes, and what, what also makes it fun though is because it happens in the bar, people see it, they see the waitress over top of them, and then they see her covered in blood, and later we learn that. She she is now being blamed for the murder. Yeah, for some reason. She had no weapon on her whatsoever. <laughs> How do you explain no, the intestines but, popping out like confetti? Yeah, but, but crazy ex-girlfriend goes and cuts up the drifter is what everyone's talking about in town yeah. now. <laughs> Apparently that's exactly what happened. They're just going to go with that story. That's exactly what happened. That she just cut him up and she just had enough of this shit. I was like, yeah, okay. I, I don't know how you'd explain that to anybody. It's not like she had a knife. It's not like she was cutting him up. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah, and that was the other thing is when they cut open the doll, blood splurted on them, too, after when they cut it open. Yeah. Yeah, blood splurted onto uh, John's hand as he was cutting it open. And not knowing what the fuck happened, he's like, oh, cool, we have a first key. That's awesome. So let's yep. put it on the board. <laughs> yeah, the yeah. blood cover sheet goes on there and enter the bad special effects in the basement. Yeah, that's the thing that we were talking about earlier, like you had said, with the Clive Barker thing and John Carpenter being involved. Instead, you get in the basement this big kind of uh, drama high school production of Gates in the basement where they go down and all of a sudden there's this gate. Has this always been here? No, I don't think so. Yeah. Where is it going to go? Yeah, and this is why I was so upset because everything that we've been leading up to story-wise, everything that we told we were going to see of going beyond the gates, we find out it's a cheap piece of shit gate in the basement that looks like it was put together by a bunch of plywood. (laughs) And the only difference is now when they go into the basement, (laughs) there's purple lights and smoke machines. I should yeah. not kids at home. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, there, yeah, it's a smoke machine and a gate, and that's what we have. And it's like, okay, well, obviously budget restraints, because the budget was only $300,000, so they only had so much to work with. So, yeah, you know, this is what we get. So it's fine for yeah. what it is, but it could have been so much more. And up until this point, I was writing along with the movie just fine. Because I was, like, wait, waiting to see where it goes with the gates and stuff like that. And then when we get this, you know, it was just like a bad, bad tease going, you're going to get some tonight, you're going to get some tonight, and you're going to end up watching porn by yourself because this is what you get, you know? Pretty much. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, but what I also like is the fact that, you know, they decide to throw the board game out at one point. Like, we just have no interest in playing. You know, this is stupid, and we're just going to throw the board game out. But the next day, the board game is fine. It's reappeared on the living room 
you know, ready to go with the tape in the VCR. All right, so obviously we can't get rid of it that easily. You know, it wants us to complete this game for some reason. We don't know why. Yeah, you're right, you're right. But yeah, Which the, I, you, I know, like. you know, the, it's like a Twilight Zone episode. You can't get rid of this shit. You got to complete it. Mm-hmm. You know, um, but you get the, the second card of the Noble, and that's the thing, and, and it made me laugh with the second key, uh, with the second card and the second key, is that <laughs> it shows a picture of Derek wearing a T-shirt with his, his police, you know, belt on, you know, holding a shotgun, and I'm like, all right, so that's obviously Derek, but the fact that when Derek shows up the next day, he's wearing a T-shirt with the police belt on and pants. I'm like, that's the card. Like, you know, how did you guys not make that reference? Like, oh, shit, that's actually Derek on that card. And why he was attacking them, I have no fucking clue, because I don't even think Derek said why. I think he was just trying to attack them for no reason. Like, I don't know. I think I'm going to pass that up. No, no, no. No, they cover it, because I told you, when he left the house, he was acting like he had that funky sound in his noise. Yeah. And, And he comes back all pissed off and angry because he keeps talking about how he keeps hearing shit in his head and it's making him go crazy. But why would he attach it to them? That's the only thing I didn't understand. Like He was hearing as he left, but it's not like they did anything. It's not like they put the sound in his head, you know, to make him go crazy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but you know, I just took it as, like, yeah, but I just took it as voices in his head making him do stuff. See, again, that's, that's, they could have explored that's that. How, you know, they could have yeah. added an extra scene with Derek by himself, you know, hearing Evelyn in his head saying, this is John and, and Gordon's fault. You need to go kill them. You know, if they had had that a little extra scene, I probably would have appreciated it a little bit more. Rather yeah, than him but, just showing with the shotgun. Yeah, but we just had to have, you know, like, because I, I, I swear the movie had like 10 straight minutes of Evelyn literally just staring at you. Not saying anything, oh, just yeah. staring at you. I, I want to say I think there was a solid ten minutes of footage of just that. You know, I don't think in a row, but I definitely think that ten minutes culminated there was of Evelyn just staring at the screen, waiting for the boys no, to do what, something. That's what I'm talking yeah. about. To, total screen time of her literally just staring at you. That <laughs> was like ten minutes. But like I said, would you have agreed that that would have worked if they had that extra scene of Derek? you know, sitting at home, like, drinking or something, mm. and hearing the voices in his head saying, this is, you know, John and Gordon's fault. You need to go and kill yeah. them. If you kill them, the voices yeah. will stop. Uh, a little bit of exposition would have been appreciated here because, seriously, yes. it's like they... Yeah, it's like, uh, because as soon as they come back upstairs from checking out this gate, here comes Derek out of nowhere, and this scene, to me, like, feels so rushed. It's like, this scene has oh, yeah. been way more fun, fun, fun in my opinion. Um, we could have had way more shooting and stuff like that because Derek comes in, pretty much blows open the, <laughs> the back gate yeah. of the yard with a shotgun, <laughs> starts randomly shooting off the shotgun in the middle of the backyard, you know, so no one's calling any cops or anything like that. You know, oh, wait, he's already there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the cops are already there. You know, and that leads yeah. to Gordon finding the skull in the ground with the key in its head. And he goes, well, I guess this is what I got to do. So he yanks the key out of the head, and Derek's head explodes. Another great practical effect. I was so happy with that result. I was like, okay, up close shot of his head exploding. I was like, all right. They know where we're at in this movie. They know the gorehounds are going to be going crazy for this scene. No, it was a great effect, but also I love that 
Gordon is in there holding the key that he pulled out of this t- tiny little sculpture that he found. And first thing John does is looks at him and is like, you did that, man. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm just staring at each other with blood all over their faces, you know. And, you know, but it's good because this board game cleans up after you. It just takes the bodies away. <laughs> I'll clean this up. Don't worry, guys. Watching his Derek's and, body disappears. I found that sloppy as hell. It's like there, right? There was, like, you know, there was no reason for it to clean up the body. No, but at the same time, like you had mm-hmm. said, like they're in a residential area. Obviously, this house is around other places. People aren't going to notice a shotgun blast going off. Like they're not going to call the cops and be like, "Yeah, there's a bunch of shotguns going off over at this place. You might want to go over there and check it out." Like there is, is Derek the only cop in town? <laughs> is that it? There's one cop down. <laughs> That's so all already there. So if Derek gets cut out, there's not going to be any police force. Like at Halloween 4, when all the cops get killed by Michael Myers, all of a sudden, you have no police force. It's like, okay, well, apparently, <laughs> Derek was it. But yeah, the magic cleaning up of the bodies, I was like, all right, bitch. Like, why do you have to make it disappear? But there's a point to it. And we get to it, you know, as we go towards the finale of the Yeah, yeah, you're right, you're right. Why the bodies have to disappear, yeah. because there's a reason for it. It's lazy, but it, it, it happens. <laughs> um, but Yeah, and uh, th- th- then we have this cut scene of, um, you know, Margaret going to see Ulrich. Uh, why did it have to, yeah, exactly, why did it have to happen? We don't need yeah. that scene in the movie. We don't. There's no reason. Like, how does she even know where to go? Like, did Gordon tell her this is where we went and this is who we talked to? Like, I I don't know. It felt like one of those scenes that just kind of got put in because they're just trying to pad out the running time. Yeah. They're like, oh, well, you know, we got an hour and 20 minute movie, so we have to add this five minute scene of her talking to Elric about finishing up the game. Like, uh, I don't know. I was I was bored with that scene. I was like, this doesn't need to be there. It's like I I could understand, you know, the point of the explanation and, you know, trying to fill you with a sense of dread, but at the same time, instead of filling me with a sense of dread, it was making me laugh just because, again, of Elric's acting and whatnot. And this particular scene was making me feel like I was watching, you know, a Tales from the Crypt episode or, like like you said, you know, Are You Afraid of the Dark? His Mm -hmm. acting and the way they were approaching this, which was supposed to be, you know, a game where you are trapped in a scenario of, you know, pure horror and dread. You know, had me laughing the entire time just because of his acting. Right. And why wouldn't they go there with her rather than her going there later, <laughs> you know, without them there to talk about the game with Elric? Like, I, I don't understand. Like, where was she during that scene? Sitting at home going, well, I guess I'll wait for them to come back from the uh, antiquity store. Like, I think yeah. that you would go with them. It's just more screen time for Elric. The only thing I can think of is that the only reason they included this scene is that it's more screen time for this character. Because it doesn't really add anything. You just find out that, you know, nobody else has completed the game before. And, you know, you never know when it's going to show up. Right, but we could have had all that at the beginning. When, you know, they they had asked about the game. You know, he he could have had this whole long-ass scene talking just to them and, you know, telling the rules of the game and, that, you know, stuff like once you start, you have to finish. You know, there's no getting out of the game. You know, you 
And has anyone beaten it? No. No one has ever beaten the game. Right. It all could have been done in one scene. That's why I said it doesn't need to be two scenes of them talking about no. this fucking game. You know, and it just felt like it was padding out time. It's like, we have to go to the finale, but first we're going to have the scene, and you guys are going to get more explanation of the game. It's like, well, they could have done it earlier. We could have been fine yeah. with that explanation during the beginning of the movie, but no. We have to go back and have another explanation. Yeah, yeah and now, yeah, and, you know, we're, we're winding down to the end of the movie, and here it's like, man, it got so damn sloppy at the end of the movie here. It's oh, yeah, so third sloppy. It's just all over the place. <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah, it's just, you know, they, I felt like I was, like, reading a Stephen King book where, where it's like, you know, we had all the story, and then at the end, oh, I don't know, let's throw some monsters in here. <laughs> yep. Yeah, that's exactly how I felt about it. That's exactly what it is. It's Stephen King trying to write the third act of a book. He doesn't always do a good job. He kind of runs out of steam in the third act of his stories. And this is exactly what I felt like with this movie, is that they're running out of steam. They're running out of stories. So what do we do? Okay, well, we'll have the maiden, uh, Margot, and for some reason she has the key already for the third key. So we're just going to have that right there. You know, no explanation yeah, why the, she just has it. Yeah, how the fuck does she even have it? <laughs> yeah, I, I have no idea. Like, that confused the shit out of me. All of a sudden, she just has it. It's like, okay, so you just had this? Like, you could have put yeah. this on the board earlier, and now all of a sudden you have it? It's like, oh, yeah, okay. <laughs> so we'll just go with it. <laughs> we'll go with what you're saying. That's fine, movie. But it, it, it just made no sense. And that's what leads to the alternate dimension. Which, like you would, again, Ooh. you know, I hate to go back to what we've talked about, but yeah, this could have been where a bigger budget would have made it better, you know, where you could actually go beyond the gates into a different realm where it's all fucked up and different and there's a bunch of ghouls and monsters and shit like that. But no, this alternate dimension is essentially just their basement. It's just different. So the, so, <laughs> oh, so, the, alter, so the alternate dimension pretty much looks like the basement from that 70s show because it's just full of pot smoke. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, nailed it. That's all it was. It was just, it's their basement, but it's a parallel dimension. Like, you know, okay. Nope, you're in the same fucking basement. There's nothing new to this dimension except you've had smoke screens and uh, purple lights. So you had it. And yeah, for I was some reason, there's a disappointed. Ghoul. <laughs> you know, and there, there's a freaky ghoul that comes out. Not the ghoul geek, but a ghoul that comes out and attacks them, which they have to kill. We have two ghouls. Yeah. No, there's a, there's a couple of them, but this, like, that's it. Like, when they enter this alternative dimension, there's one ghoul that is, un, like, doesn't have a name. It's just a ghoul, and it pops out, and they have to kill it. I'm like, that's it? One? Like, that's all we're going to get from Beyond the Gates? It's one monster? Okay, well, I guess Oh, okay. man. <laughs> yeah. And they spent, I all of their, they spent all of their money, like effects money, apparently all the practical effects of the two deaths that happened earlier. Yeah. Because when you see the ghoul in this thing, it's just, it's just fucking pitiful. You know, you know, it just looks like someone yeah. just <laughs> threw a bunch of seaweed on someone with a, here you go, just walk around and try and be scary. <laughs> Yeah, yeah that's, that's exactly what I thought. The fact that it was just such a comical-looking thing, and they kill it real quick, so it's gone. It's like, all right, so that's it. You know, we're done. There's no more monsters to kill. 
This is beyond the gates. Oh, man, no, this wait, is scary, guys. <laughs> <laughs> no, there's more. Um, and this is what we had talked about just a few minutes ago about the bodies disappearing of the people they had killed, because now you have Derek and Hank show up as ghouls with oh, uh, long nails and just looking like the dead, but really cheap looking effects. Where it's like, yeah, and obviously Carl, they wasted all their effects. Purple lighter, whatever the fuck that's supposed to be. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's not exactly a black light, but yeah, but it's just, yeah. Oh man, it was, no, it's just that I was lazy. Mm-hmm. Oh, go ahead, King. <laughs> it's just, it's like I said, it just, it was lazy. This whole third act of them in the basement having to come to to confront uh, Hank and Derek as ghouls now, and Hank attacking John and slicing him across the chest and causing these deep wounds. And it's like, all right, well, they're battling these two ghouls and they're fighting them. And all of a sudden, their father shows up and he's a ghoul, too. And he's oh. just laughing, carrying on with horrible effects of the face. Like, that's like sixth so grade Halloween makeup on his face. No, his makeup is worse than everybody else's. They didn't even, like, really bother to give him any makeup. All they did was they slap some baby powder on his face or something. You know, and that was it. They didn't even, like, bother to, like, have any scabs or wounds or flesh peeling off or anything. His face was perfectly fine. It's like, that's what was pissing me off. It's like, you know, okay, so we're supposed to have, like, the head monster now here. Hey, it's Dad. You know, now we have to, (laughs) you know, confront our fears, and it's just Dad looking like Dad. (laughs) Yeah. Like, you know, it's like, oh, wow, is he going to ground us or some shit? You know. (laughs) Go up to your rooms. Okay, Dad. (laughs) Again, I wonder yeah. if it's the actor, too. You know, I honestly wonder if it's the actor that probably didn't want to want to make put on his face because that could have been him, too. The actor saying, listen, I, you know, I'll do this part, but, you know, I don't want a lot of shit put on my face. I don't want to deal with all these bullshit contact lenses and shit like that. You know, that's what I kind of wonder. I want people to recognize me from this movie because I'm going to become famous. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, obviously the actor's an older guy, so kind of made me wonder if that's the actor's choice of just like, you know, put a little makeup on, I'll be fine, and I'll just act the hell out of the scene and we'll be good. Um, just you know, little blush, little rouge. <laughs> yeah, because of how different he looked from the other ghouls, like from Hank and Derek, as they're presented. You know, I mean, it's not like they're any better, but at the same time, you know, obviously the father has much less makeup on, but it leads to the confrontation because John is taken out by the scratches done by Hank, so it's up to Gordon to confront his father, which is kind of symbolic in a way of him having to confront his father in this final kind of confrontation. Because he's run away from his father. You know, and in a way, you know, in a way it works. Because Gordon has always been the one to run away and not want to deal with his problems with his father. And now he's come face to face with his father in the basement as a ghoul. And now there's no turning back. Like you have to take your father's heart out. That was the whole point of the game. You have to remove the heart to get the key to save your father's soul. So now it's up to him to do it. And that's what I kind of liked about it, because there's no more running for Gordon. Now he actually has to confront this thing. I don't know what you thought about right. it. Right. No, no, I, I, I get what you're saying. You know, is, you know, he actually has to step up, you know, because we have these moments throughout the entire movie where he's been trying to, you know, like you said, run away, repress his feelings, you know, um, you know, not acknowledge family. And in this one scene, he has to do all of that, 
is so that he can actually fi- finally take care of the dad and finish this game. Yeah. You know, he, he, he actually has to face his fears of family commitment. Yeah. And it's the whole thing of you have to take out your father's heart. You know, in order to save your father's soul, you have to essentially kill him, which is just, you know, unloading a whole bunch of other baggage. But that's yeah. exactly what you have to do. <laughs> you know, in order to save him, you have to kill him. You know, and you have that kind of reluctance at the same time. He knows what he has to do. Yeah. And he defeats his father. And I love the father's reaction, which is just saying thank you to him. You know, it's you know, he's no longer a victim of this game anymore. Uh, well, yeah. Well, that's when we have the dad turn back to normal. And then we have the whole Darth Vader slash Anakin Skywalker scene from Return of the Jedi where, you know, Darth Vader's <laughs> laying there, you know, and, you know, saying, thank you, son, you saved me and all that kind of stuff. You know, that's straight up Jedi right there. <laughs> Yeah, well, I'm not as familiar to that universe as uh, you are, but I'll take it. It's fine. Um, but, you know, and in a way, you know, it, it is kind of Star Wars because the order is restored. Once he cuts open his father's heart and he gets the key, and they rush upstairs to put the final key in place, and they beat the game, essentially. And order is restored. Yep. You know, they go back to their dimension. They go back to the, you know, where they came from. And I love Evelyn's line at the end where she tells him to stop thinking about the dead and start thinking about the living. Kind of like that final aside, which worked for me. I thought it was great. You know, it's like stop yeah. worrying about the dead. Start worrying about the living. Yeah, go have that ambient sex. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I also like the fact that Evelyn's makeup, if you notice it, it gets a lot darker. When they run upstairs at the end, when she's waiting in the, uh, in the TV screen, like the, uh, the uh-huh. black circles around her eyes got a lot darker. Yeah, if you if you watch it again, if you go back to that specific scene, when they go running upstairs to the living room and you look at her eyes, they're a lot darker. And it's like she's almost become a lot more evil. Like she's got more power. Oh, okay. You know, as they put the final key down and she says, Stop worrying about the dead, stop worrying start worrying about the living. And you've completed board the you know, beyond the gates. You know, if you've won in the way and the board game disappears. And it's like everything's right. fine. Except for John, who's fucked up, man. You know, <laughs> he's deep scratching yeah. on his chest. Like, yeah. you think we need to take you to uh, hospital? Yeah, that'd be good. <laughs> yeah, but then, uh, you know, we we have that moment between John, <clears throat> between the brothers, where you know John is like, you know, I thought we could have saved Dad, and <laughs> sorry, and Gordon is like, we did save him, you know. Yeah, you know. we talked about that last night. And that's why, you know, I kind of felt for John in a way because he loved his dad. And he didn't want it to end that way. He wanted to save his dad physically and emotionally and spiritually. But there was no turning back. Like, there was, you couldn't save him as a person anymore. The only way to save him is to kill him so you could set his soul free. And that was the right. way that they set him free. And that's why I said I felt bad for John in that scene because, yeah, you did technically save him, but at the same time, he's not there anymore. He's gone. Like, it is never yeah. coming back. And so that's we have the awkward... Yeah, and then we have the awkward moment at the very end. Like, you know... It is. It's a hard one for you me, know, too, because like we had talked about, <laughs> it's a hard scene for me. It, it is, in a way, because I, I you know... 
and and we'll talk about it because you know we have time. But yeah, the the whole end scene where everything is fixed, John is better, and they're leaving and they're putting the house up for sale, and Gordon is saying his goodbyes to John, and you can see that they've reconciled. They're closer than they were when they started. Um, you have Margot saying, hey, listen, we have a guest room. If you ever want to come up, that guest room is yours. And he just kind of gives her that smile of like, yeah, you know, absolutely. But at the same time, I took it as he's never going to do it. I don't think he's ever going to visit. I think he's just basically saying his goodbyes. You know, I'm sure we'll talk on the phone, you know, with email. But as far as us being closer and seeing each other all the time, it's probably never going to happen. That's just the way I took it. See, and I took it completely the opposite from you, King, because I, I took it that they were finally embracing one another. They actually hugged. They actually teared up a little bit while hugging. And, you know, and were finally acknowledging that they were brothers. After mm-hmm. all this time, they were acknowledging that they are family and that they are the only thing that they have left. You know, so, so I took it as completely different from way than from you took it. I could, I could see it where you're coming from, especially with the expression that was on John's face, but I think that was, like, the only one of two expressions he had throughout the entire movie. So, <laughs> Well, and I think it went to the character, too, where he just didn't know how to deal with that kind of stuff. Like, he's not a right. very emotional guy. You know, he's not the type of guy that's going to cry or be very emotional. So when somebody says, you know, if you ever want to come up, we have a guest room with your name on it, you know, so his reaction is to kind of laugh and say, okay, you know, that's fine. But I know that's just the way I took it. Like, their brothers will always be brothers, but like I said, it, it was a hard thing for me at that end because I was reminded of my own brother. Um, and we had talked about it last night, how my brother and I are kind of estranged ourselves. I mean, we talk every now and then, but we're estranged. He lives in New Jersey. I live in Pennsylvania. We don't see each other hardly at all, maybe a couple times a year at that. So I kind of got that at the end, you know, where it's like I put myself in the shoes of, of John, my brother in the shoes of Gordon, and I was like, I could kind of see that. And that's why I really appreciated this movie, because you have two different sets of people that are estranged, but at the end of the day, they're still brothers, and they still love each other, and they'll always have that bond, because they're all they have. So that's why I kind of appreciated mm-hmm. it from that aspect. Yeah. No, no, I, no I, I appreciate that, and I appreciate you sharing that on the air, Keith. Um, yeah, <laughs> but because this is a Jumanji ripoff, we even have a Jumanji ripoff ending. <laughs> We do. Where? <laughs> yeah. Go ahead and give us that Jumanji ending, uh, Monkey. <laughs> Where? <laughs> of course, it cuts back to Elric <laughs> in his store. <laughs> and so, someone walking into the store, some random dude who's in this awesome store of antiquities that's full of horror and dread and black magic and, you know, dark secrets, you know, I, seriously, I love the fucking store. Um, oh, yeah. Yep. <laughs> and what does this douchebag do? He, he walks up to the counter and asks our friend Elric, do you have anything from the 80s? Because <laughs> that's what and you do when you go like, to a store like that. <laughs> yeah. You know, in a, a store full of skeletons and shrunken heads and stuff like that. So you got anything from the 80s? And of course, Elric goes, "Why, well, of course I do," and pulls out, "Ba ba ba ba, beyond the gates." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And that's interesting, is because we had talked about it, how, you know, we had thought maybe there's not going to be a chance of a sequel, but there actually is a potential for a sequel. And I, I was talking to you before the show 
that as of October of last year, uh, Jackson Stewart was planning on directing a sequel with uh, Brian Yuzna of Society and Reanimator 2 fame of uh, producing. Yep. And I think it could actually work as an anthology where this board game could go from hand to hand. You could have different experiences with the game through different people. And I think it could actually work as kind of a, a Friday 13th of series where you have this cursed object and it just passes from hand to hand. And I think it could be fun. No, and I agree where this could definitely be a good anthology kind of thing. You know, bring it up, have some fun with it. Just come on, seriously, please, please put some money into the movie. You know, just... And and evenly distribute the movie throughout all of the parts of your movie. You know, don't spend all of your... You know, don't blow your whole wad, you know, on 15 minutes of movie, and then you're stuck with purple lights and a, a smoke machine at the end of the movie. Come on. Just split it up evenly and keep a nice even flow throughout the movie. Because seriously, it's like that... The movie was fun. I, I'll say that. But seriously, yeah. it, it, really, it really fell apart in the end. And I feel like we weren't even getting a finished product in that last chapter. Right. Compared yeah, to the rest yeah. of the movie. Yeah, I, I felt like they... Yeah, I, or, you know, I felt like I was watching outtakes. You know, <laughs> compared to the rest of the movie. Yeah, that like we both agree that that third act was kind of rushed and it didn't make a lot of sense, and they just kind of wanted me to get by with it. Um, I mean, for a sequel, you know, I don't know if I want to have a direct sequel where it takes place in the same time frame. I kind of want to see this movie take place in like the '80s or like the early '90s, and kind of have like the board game beforehand. You know, where it's just coming out, and you know, you find this board game. Beyond the Gates at a video rental store. And somebody's like, holy shit, what's this? You know, let's play it because that's the whole rage. I just played Nightmare and Nightmare sucked. But Beyond the Gates, that's a real thing. Like, I'd kind of <laughs> love to see that for a sequel. Like, have it be a timepiece. Yeah, that would work. And, and again, it's like, you know, but you can only go with so far because it's a VHS tape, you know? <laughs> well, and that's why I said, but, if, you t- if you had to take place in the 90s or something like that, I think it would work. You know, where that's at the apex of the, the VHS uh, kind of boom is in that late 80s, early 90s kind of period. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we sure, where people sure are looking for the next scare. Yeah, and we sure as hell can't go into the future because no one else is going to have a VCR anymore. <laughs> Except in this because... town, apparently they all just have VCRs. Especially like when we said <sighs> Derek found the VHS of uh, Operational Ryan. He's like, oh, I want to take this. I'm like, yeah, you have a VCR? The 2016, you know, I, I don't know. dude. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I can't remember the last time I saw a VCR. I mean, I, like we had said, uh, Monkey, my parents have one. They have a VHS and a DVD player, but they don't have VHS play, uh, tapes anymore. You know, they don't use that side of the DVD player anymore, but they still have it. At the same time, it's like, come on. Like, who has a VCR in the same age and is actively well, watching like, VCR, uh, v- VHS tapes? Well, like I told you, uh, the Diva and I, we still have our VHS player. And ju- literally just a couple of months ago, I finally unhooked it from the TV and put it into our closet just in case we want to watch one of our VHS tapes. But, I've, I, like, seriously, we had it out that long to where I literally recently just put it away. I, mm. Yeah, I'm one of those few people that still had our VHS player out there. <laughs> <laughs> and it was funny because I was thinking about it the other night as we closed out the show because we got about eight minutes left. Because um, we had talked about the other night how you still had VCR and you still had Nightmare and Atmosphere 
and you're talking about maybe the summer playing it, you know, with your son, Ian, me, you, Ian, you know, the diva. And I was like, you know, it would be a great uh, uh, YouTube video for her channel, us playing Nightmare. <laughs> you know, just taking it back, you know, having the Mad Monkey and the King of Horror playing Nightmare, you know, on a VHS tape. Like, this is our version of Beyond the Gates, people. You know, this is us playing Nightmare. Like, you know, I think that would be great. Just to revisit that. do it better. <laughs> and just, we just need to get a bunch of, like, late 90s snacks and popcorn and stuff like that. You know, let's get a, a copy of Dream Phone. If we could find a copy of that. <laughs> Dream Phone. Another, another great game that teaches great morals. <laughs> because... It just teaches girls to sit there and randomly call up guys and beg for dates. That was awesome. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, that that took me back. Because uh, I watched a video of that on YouTube not that long ago about Dream Phone. I was like, oh, my God. It was just girls dialing random phone numbers going, do you like me? Like, hey, my name is Trey, and I don't like you. Let's go out. It's like, oh, like, I'll cross that name off that list. But come on. That is just horrible. Like, that's what we're, that's what girls were playing back in the 90s? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. This is what led to the rainbow game, people. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dream phone. Like, one of the games of the age. And I love how the instructions tell you that it's not an actual real phone. Like, you can't call people on it. It's like, do not use this phone like a real phone. It's a game, everybody. You can only dial the guys in the game. It's like, hey, i got to make a long-distance call. Do you mind if I use your dream phone? Better call China. No. <laughs> we don't, don't want to call expansion for Dream Phone. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what? I like it said. I, I thought that Beyond the Gates is a fun movie. It's nostalgia. Um, it's not a perfect film by any means. But if you have Netflix and you want to check it out and you like their review of the movie, feel free. It's on there. Um, I've checked that out a couple times. I know that the monkey has as well. Um, just don't go into it thinking that it's going to be like the best horror movie you've ever seen. It's not. It's nope. just a fun time, and it takes you back to a period of time that if you're our age or older, you remember those times of the VCR horror board games and just the Friday nights that you had with friends playing these games. Now, King, do you have a pick for next week? I do, and I know that the ghoul and the doc is not with us at the moment for me to announce my pick for next week, but I've told the ghoul about it. He's on board I told the doc about this previously. I don't know if he's on board. We'll see for next week. Um, but next week, I want to pick a new movie, guys. A new oh. movie, uh, which is so weird because I always go back to the 70s and 80s for my picks. So it's going to be weird. Yes, you do. Uh, this, this movie just came out in January, and it just got put onto DVD and just got printed out about a month ago. 2018's The Strangers Pray at Night which is a follow-up to the 2007 film, The Strangers. What's interesting, though, and I'll tell you this right now, Monkey, like I told you last night, you do not need to see the first Strangers movie to watch The Strangers Pray at Night. It's a standalone sequel, um, a lot of 80s references, a lot of 80s soundtrack. It's just a fun slasher movie, not a lot of deep thought to this one. It's just a lot of fun, and I hope you have fun uh, just as much as I did. Cool. I'm looking forward to this, man. Uh, so, modern slasher uh, made as a 80s slasher. Is that what yes. you're saying? It is a modern slasher Squishy. movie, but it has a very much homage to 
Texas Chainsaw Massacre. It's got homages to Christine. Definitely a heavy 80s soundtrack uh, featuring a song that we had talked about last night, Kim Wilde's Cambodia, which is one of my favorite songs from the 80s. And it's in that movie, and it's in a great scene. So I cannot wait to hear your thoughts on that scene where that song plays because I think it's the best scene in the movie. So we'll talk about it. But for all of you fans out there, next week we'll be talking about The Strangers, Pray at Night, a new movie from The King. So it's going to be interesting. Yeah, I'm excited, man. This is cool. (laughs) (laughs) I'm looking forward to it. So as we close out the show, we don't have the ghoul here to do his usual plug, so we're going to kind of go away from that. But why don't you tell us how this show is represented tonight, Mucky? Uh, (laughs) Tonight's episode is unofficially brought to you by PVR. Um, Three... Three letters that always lead to bad decisions on my case. And as always, tonight's episode is officially brought to you by the personal lubricant of Talking Terror, Pool Glide. Just ask the king and the monkey. We use that shit. Hell yeah, we use that shit every day, son. Use the hell out of that shit. I know the ghoul doesn't use that shit, but I know that the monkey and I use that shit every day. So, yeah, I'm glad you know that unofficially brought by PBR <laughs> because apparently there's going to be a PBR shortage soon. So you're ah. about to see the monkey and the king go through a very long depression period because there's about to be a shortage. So pray for us that we can make it through the PBR shortage. It's about to happen because we're going to have to go to a different beer. I, God forbid the next beer that we're going to have to go through. Ah, it's not going to be Samuel, Sam Adams. <laughs> no, God no We're going to have to find another choice But alright folks, that was the show We hope you enjoyed it Until next we meet, it's my pick next week The Strangers Pray at Night Thank you so much Monkey for taking over the reins For the ghoul while he had to step out No problem <laughs> Thank Excellent. you Thank you horror fans for listening We'll catch you next week Keep America strong people Watch horror movies <laughs>